men. I'm going to dispense with the singing of hymn number 19, and I'm going to go straight into the Bible reading. Our Bible reading today is taken from Judges, or in Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8, I want to read verses 1 through to 12. Judges chapter 8, 1 through to 12. your hands are that cold you can hardly find the place if you do find it so cold and not be offended if you want to make your way back home switch online you can do that judges chapter 8 let's hear the word of god and the men of ephraim said unto him why hast thou served us thus that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites. And they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abazir? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over, he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint, for I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and briars. And he went up thence to Penuel, and said unto them likewise, and the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their hosts with them, about 15,000 men, all that were left of all the hosts of the children of the east. For there fell an hundred and twenty thousand men that drew sword. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in the tents on the east of Nobah and Jogbeha, and smote the host, for the host was secure. And when Zeba and Salmuna fled, he pursued after them, and took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Salmuna, and discomforted all the host. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, early last Wednesday morning, 
I, I was praying for the church. And I hope you pray for the church every day. And I said, Lord, give me a word for Sunday. You know where we're at uh, in a spiritual sense. You know where we're at financially. You know where we're at numerically. Lord, you know what we need. And as quick as a flash, this is true, I'm telling you this. There was a three-worded phrase come into my mind. The three-worded phrase was faint, yet pursuing. And I'm thinking, where did I read that in the Bible? I've read it somewhere. And of course, my memory's not as good as it used to be. Uh, So uh, I used a thing that Brother Mark has showed me how to use called Bible Gateway. And I was able to put in the word faint. And the very first reference that came up was Judges chapter 8 and verse 4. Faint, yet pursuing them. And I said before the Lord, that's my text, Lord, for something. And I've looked at the text. I've come up with this theme, faithfully fighting despite the fainting fits. Now, this is a familiar Bible story. Gideon was the man chosen by the Lord to lead the children of Israel to victory against the host of the Midianites. According to Judges chapter 6 and into Judges chapter 7, the children of Israel were under the rule of the Midianites for seven years. Now, this, of course, was the Lord's chastening of his ancient people because of their sin and backsliding and apostasy from him. Remember, whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. And sometimes I feel we're experiencing the chastening hand of the Lord at this time. And as a result of the enemy's oppression, the children of Israel, by and large, were homeless. At this stage, they're living in dens and caves in the mountain and other strongholds. They've been driven from their towns and their cities and their villages. They're also hungry, for the Midianites have taken the sheep, the oxen, the asses. They have destroyed the crops. They waited until the children of Israel planted some more seed. Waited until it almost grew to harvest. And then a raid took place. People were killed. The crops were destroyed. The children of Israel were also helpless. There was none to help them. Like David, they were discovering no man cared for their soul. The lives of many were ruled by fear. So afraid that when Gideon and his 300 men began chasing down the Midianites, they discovered there was none on hand to help them. They appealed to the people of Succoth. They appealed to Penuel. And they discovered there was no help in offer. The men of Succoth, Penuel, wouldn't even offer bread for weary, battle-hungry soldiers. They were also hopeless. Because the Midianites had so devastated the land of Israel for seven years, the Midianites had great superiority in men and in munitions. They literally did as they pleased. And in Judges chapter 6 and in the verse 6, We read these words. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. In the midst of this homeless, hungry, 
helpless, hopeless situation, what did Israel do? They honored the Lord by crying out unto him. That was a cry in dependence on him. And at their lowest ebb, then they began to pray. They're praying to the God of Israel. And didn't the psalmist say, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. And what did the Lord do? The Lord answered. The Lord responded to that cry. And the Lord, in grace and mercy, intervened. How? He raised up a leader. He raised up Gideon. And maybe we learn, need to learn to cry in absolute dependence on the Lord for the Lord to work again here this year. Gideon started out with an army of 32,000 men. It was whittled down to 10,000. And then it was further whittled down to 300. Now I want you to think of this. 300 against 135,000. You see, when his army was 32,000 strong, the Lord told him, it's too big, Gideon. You have to reduce it. When it got to 10,000, he said, it's still too big. You've got to reduce it further. And he reduced it to 300 men. If you look at Judges chapter 8, it, it tells us there in the verse 4, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing. Link it up with Judges 8 and verse 10. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor. And their hosts were with them, about 15,000 men. All that were left of all the hosts of the children of the east. For there fell in 120,000 men that drew sword. So you can add 120,000, 15,000, you get 135,000. Why 300 from 32,000? Well, here's the answer. The Lord is going to give the victory. And the Lord's going to get all the glory. And the children of Israel were to learn that the true source of victory is not in numbers. It's not in military strength. It's not in armaments. It's not even in finance. The true victory only comes from the Lord. It's interesting when they called on the men of Ephraim to join with them. A row followed. The men of Ephraim were upset. The, the men of Ephraim asked, why didn't you call us sinner? They're full of pride. However, Gideon and his 300 men fought on and fought hard. They routed the camp of the Midianites. They had three things with them. They had a trumpet, they had a pitcher, and they had a burning torch. Those who followed after Gideon, he told them, do as I do. Somewhere between 10 p.m. and 12 midnight on that particular night, using these non-conventional weapons, not at the start, the sword, the spear, the shield, whenever he blew the trumpet, whenever they broke the pitcher, whenever they lit their burning torch, they got victory from the Lord. They cried the sword of the Lord in Gideon. 
The Midianites were in disarray. They fled in panic. They slew one another. And there was one wide scattering of that host. The Lord gave a mighty victory. The initial rout of the Midianites, they fled to Karkor. They were going to rally and regroup with this 15,000. Gideon wasn't content. He wanted a complete victory. And he followed after the Midianites. And the Bible tells us he passed over Jordan. And at this time, what does it tell us about them? They were faint, yet pursuing. And that's what I want us to think about today. Here's a vital message. A message for me, a message for you, a message for this church at this time. Maybe even a message for the whole of the free church. Four things very quickly. I know know it's cold, right? One, there's an enemy to fight and pursue. Think of the word pursuing. The children of Israel were facing and fighting a great enemy, a very powerful enemy, an enemy that hates them, an enemy that was out to destroy them, an enemy that was out to annihilate them. And what is true of ancient Israel is true of the church of Jesus Christ today. If you're a believer this morning, you're saved, you're in Christ, I want you to recognize you're in a holy war. You're familiar with John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress. But there was another book that John Bunyan wrote, and it's called The Holy War. And I would recommend that you read it. And from the moment you were saved and born again of the Holy Spirit of God, do you know that you became a born-again soldier? And you were enlisted in this holy war. And I want to tell you the cause of Christ today It's not a popular cause in the world. It's not wanted. It's not welcome. Do you know it's impossible to make the cause of Christ palatable to the world? It's impossible to make the cause of Christ acceptable to the world? Remember that the Apostle James wrote in James chapter uh, 4 and in the verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And over in John's epistle, in 1 John 2 and in verse 15, we read, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we need to rediscover and we need to remember who the real enemy is. And in Ephesians chapter 6 that I referred to earlier when we thought about the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God. And let's remember that the Apostle Paul said this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And in the world, the church of Jesus Christ has known days of great triumph, days of blessing in revival, but also known times of great trial, days of persecution, days of opposition, days of (coughs) provocation. Let me announce this morning that this ungodly, anti-Christian world hates Jesus Christ. It's reference to God, the Bible, sin, heaven and hell, repentance. 
hates any focus on Christ crucified, resurrected, and glorified. And the aim of this ungodly, anti-Christian world is to wipe out and destroy the name of Christ and wipe out and destroy the cause of Christ in this earth. And for this reason, then, it's impossible to make it acceptable to this world. Here's a fact. The church of Jesus Christ, the cause of Christ, is under attack from the powerful enemy. And these enemies are smart, they're educated, they're deeply entrenched, they have great weapons at their disposal, they have big backers at their disposal. We're in a fight to the death. We're in a fight for our very survival. You think of Ukraine this morning. Ukraine's in a fight to the death. And if Vladimir Putin has his way, he will overrun the whole of Ukraine. And all I'm saying from a spiritual point of view is this. If you're saved, you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You're not only a son in a family. You're not only a servant in a field. You're not only a, a, a steward um, looking after, say, financial affairs. You're not only a singer offering praise. You're a soldier. You're a Christian soldier. And sadly, C.T. Studd, who wrote a book called the Christian soldier talked about chocolate soldiers and how many have become chocolate soldiers. Do you realize that we're called upon church to oppose the enemy? Everyone that's an enemy of Jesus Christ and his redeemed people, we are to oppose. Oh, that we could grasp that enemies are entrenched in our country. And they're against God, Christ, and everything that we stand for as Christ's children. They're godless, they're heedless, and they're careless. You think of the lawmakers of the country. The parliaments, Westminster, Holyrood in Scotland, in Wales, even in Stormont, and not only are the enemies entrenched in the country, but there's even enemies within the church. And the professing church of Jesus Christ, Christendom, is in a state of apostasy. You only have to look in through the door of the Church of England and the Church of Scotland and look into some of the churches here in Northern Ireland and you'll discover there's enemies in the church. And of course, we have enemies in our own Christian life our own sinful flesh, the pull and lure of the world, the uh, smartness and subtlety of the devil. See, let's remember, our battle is ultimately not against flesh and blood. It is ultimately against Satan and his host. And we must keep focused on the fact that we're in a spiritual war to the death. We must keep focused on who the real enemy is. We must keep focused on what the spiritual means are to fight the battles of the Lord. We must keep focused on the fact that it's the Lord's battle. We must keep focused on the fact that we don't fight the Lord's battle with carnal weapons. Remember what Paul says, and I've alluded to it, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and in the verse 4, the apostle Paul says this, speaking of the weapons of our warfare, 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
So they're not like the bayonet. They're not like the sword. They're not like the dress sword. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And what are those weapons? Well, one of them is the word of God, the weapon of prayer, the weapon of praise, the weapon of protest, the weapon of preaching. It's all connected. But let me add this. The powers of hell, the devil and his minions are using flesh and blood people. Wicked, ungodly, anti-Christian people to hold the line for sin and wickedness. You think for a moment of the pro-abortion lobby. Advocates of the murder of the unborn. Using equality. Using women's right and pro-choice. You, you, you think of the strong homosexual lobby. LGBT community. Advocates of same-sex marriage. An open allegiance to a lifestyle that's vile, that's hellish, that's an abomination to the Lord. You, you think of the, 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 the uh, gender lobby. 72, 73 genders now. No longer just male and female. You can be what you want. You can be a leprechaun. You can be stardust. You can be a raindrop. Is it not true to say that most of the world's parliaments are against God and his son? And if they mention God, they pay lip service. And they have no real love for him. They control the world's finances. They try to control our lives. They want to tell us what to do and how to eat and what we should think. They want to control everything. They control the media. They, they control the state education. They, they, they want to control the churches. And there's a one world agenda goal being set. And that's to stamp out and destroy the name and the cause of Christ. And those churches that say no to same-sex marriage, no to abortion and homosexuality and all this gender nonsense, and, and yes to God and Christ and the Bible, well, we're going to pay a heavy price. And that price has already been felt. You think of apostasy in the major denominations. Do you know that you can have in certain denominations today a practicing sodomite in the pulpit? And congregations love it. A practicing adulterer? A practicing drunkard? And they can't sack them. They won't remove them. These people are loved and wanted. Now you might think that that is way out there but this is the reality of what is happening today no mention of God no love for Jesus Christ the Bible sin heaven and hell God and salvation think of the state of the universities arrogant against Jesus Christ the state of the Christian home are we not losing our children to the devil are we not facing a tremendous threat in society when we think of the World Council of Churches, the Irish Council of Churches? I want to tell you, you know this, you can't negotiate with the devil. The devil will show no mercy and no quarter given. You can't redeem the culture. You can't dialogue with the devil. You can't reason. There's two options. Either you fight or you face death or you be in subjection. We're all called upon to join together in the fight, the battle of the cross, and we must be prepared. The second thing I want to leave with you very, very quickly 
There's equipment to fight and pursue. Think about Gideon. As he opposed the enemy, as he engaged the enemy, he remembered that the power of the Spirit is available to the people of God. Zechariah 4 and 6 says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the eyes in the eyes of the Lord. You see, in the eyes of the world, we can't win. But from heaven's perspective, we can. Because we, we serve a living Christ. The living Christ is resurrected. He's victorious. And we shall see victory because of his victory. The Lord Jesus didn't die in vain. He didn't die just to make salvation possible. He died to make it a glorious reality. And he saves us. He, and he equips us. And he provides the gospel armor. And one thing that he provides for us is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we fight the Lord's battles together. And we realize and remember who the real enemy is. And we, we, we make sure that as individuals, we, 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 we are in fire for the Lord. And the Lord is first and foremost in our lives. And we are full of love and zeal for Christ. And we serve and do the, the work of the Lord as, as unto the Lord. We serve him willingly and believingly and unitedly. We want to see the children saved. We want to see the teenagers saved. So, so we labor in prayer. Remember when the children of Israel cried to the Lord, it was a turning point. Their extremity became God's opportunity. And then a spirit of brokenness when they felt it was no good and we can't go on. The Lord mercifully intervened and gave grace and raised up Gideon. Gideon was the fifth judge. Five's the number of grace. And what, what grace and mercy was shown at that time because of prayer. And even against the backcloth of God whittling down the numbers. I want you to notice that Gideon, even though he routed 120,000, was not content with a partial victory. A victory that left the enemy intact. Left the enemy to regroup at Karkor. 15,000 left, 120,000 killed, 8 and 10. 15,000 still left on to fight another day. He couldn't relax. He couldn't rest. He must press on. So I want you to think of Gideon here. He's got a great victory. He's the hero of the hour. He could have quit and had joy and peace and accolade and praise. But he knew the enemy would counterattack. So he pushed on over Jordan. No let up. He didn't leave them to fight another day. The men of Ephraim wanted to leave it to another day. But Gideon wanted to fight on. And in our fight, what do we need? We need the gospel armor. But we also need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 and 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Remember Paul's command, Ephesians 5 and 18, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And Gideon was filled with the Spirit of God. That was his equipment to fight and pursue the enemy. The Lord was directing the battle, told him the very weapons to use, instructed him in the strategy that he was given. Very quickly, there's an endurance to fight and pursue. Notice this word, faint. Here's the reality of fainting, faint yet pursuing. Did you know that the word faint has to do with loosening the strings? 
I don't know about the young fellas here. When I was growing up as a boy, one of my favorite games was playing bows and arrows. And I had a wee bow with three or four arrows, red stickers on them, and I used to try and fire them as hard as I can at the target and to get the bullseye. But I often missed. Do you know why? Because the string in the wee bow was so loose that when you fired it out, it just fell to the ground. And it didn't really hit the target at all. And I used to get really annoyed and really upset. And one time I was bending the bow that far back. I broke the bow and then I cried, bawled my eyes out. I, I remember that. We used to play cowboys and Indians and using the bows and arrows and the young girls, well, they became the uh, Indian squaws and feathers and so on and so forth. But, but here's the point. The word faint has to do with loosening the strings. And that's a real problem. Because there is such a thing as the reality of having a fainting fit in the spiritual life. And it's a loosening of the strings of attachment to the Lord that causes that fainting fit, as we'll see. Very quickly, think of the reasons for the fainting fit. Let me just give them to you. Battle fatigue sets in. Think of these 300 soldiers physically exhausted. It's been a long, hard night into the morning. The body's in pain. They can't take any more. They find it hard to keep going. The muscles say, stop. The late Dr. Paisley used to say to us students, we need to keep on keeping on. And when we can't take one more step and battle fatigue is set in, we must. And what's the secret of going on? What's the secret of keeping on going on? Waiting on the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. A fresh infusion of strength. A fresh infusion of the Spirit. A fresh infusion of a sight of Jesus Christ in glory. You see, what keeps me going here is I try to fill my mind with who Christ is. And what Christ is like. And what Christ has done. And what Christ is going to do now and in the future. That's the best way to overcome battle fatigue, an infusion of strength, spirit, and a fresh sight of Christ. Think of battle frustrations. Here's the enemy on the run. Joshua, or uh, 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 Gideon has seen a great victory. There's total confusion in the enemy ranks. 120,000 slain. 15,000, of course, have got away. They're loose to regroup. They're a threat to the future. See, see what's Gideon discovering? The battle never really ends. The enemy's still in place. And you see, we know that the devil is never going to go away. Nor sin. We know the world is never going to change. We know that there's always going to be ungodly, anti-Christian people who will rise up and oppose Christ and, 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 and oppose God. And the final victory over sin and Satan and, and all the ungodly, anti-Christian men and women is yet to come. Can you think of the frustration of knowing that the enemy is still at large? And the battle's never going to end. Could you think of the frustration of running out of food and provision? The, these men were hungry men. 
They, 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 they had a poor diet. And they're fainting because they're not fed. How many are poor in a spiritual battle because they're ill-fed? I was thinking of Peter feeding the flock of God, and that's the job of the elders. That's my job, to feed you the word of God. And there's so many Christians today have such a poor diet that they're, they're not equipped for this fight. And battle frustration sets in because they realize this battle's never going to go away. There's a failure to read the scriptures. A failure to meditate on the scriptures. A failure to learn the scriptures. A failure to share the scriptures. And that's a big problem. Many never read their Bible from one day to the next day. Can I just point out to you something that many are looking to politics to change Northern Ireland, change the United Kingdom, change America. And while you may have godly men in public office, politics will not change Northern Ireland, the United Kingdom. No matter how many godly men end up in public office, only God can bring about that change. It's great you have your devotions. You read the smallest portion of the scriptures. You might feel good and feel better. But have you really got to lay in hold of the word of God? Think of this sword that I held up this morning. You need to have a grasp of that sword. You need to be skilled in the use of it. You need to be taught and trained. How many of us have really got our eyes in Christ as prophet, priest, and king? Very quickly, what about battle friends? 300, they asked the men of Succoth, they got no help there. They asked the men of Penel, no help there. Struggling as a tiny minority. And you know what, this time Israel was divided. The men of Ephraim wouldn't help Gideon, they, they, they wanted to, 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 to lash out at him. The church was on its knees. They're, 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 they were refusing to take their place. They were asking questions that Gideon really didn't have time to answer. And the absence of battle friends can lead to this fainting fit. What about battle factions? Ephraim found fault with Gideon the leader. They had pride. They had carnal desires. They had carnal words. They, they, they made carnal decisions. They didn't stand with the leader. They weren't going to serve under the leader. They wanted to be the leader. But that wasn't God's will and God's plan. They were only thinking of themselves. They weren't thinking of the whole camp of Israel. They were only thinking of self. Self was to the fore. So these battle factions, they were another cause for fainting fit. One final thing, and our time is gone. There is an enjoyment to fight and pursue the enemy. How can we keep going? How can we continue? How can we keep on keeping on? We feel faint. How many of you feel faint? How many of you are ready to quit? How many of you feel rejected? Not loved and wanted by brothers and sisters. How many are, are starving from a, a, a spur, spur spiritual diet? How many are really fatigued? Let's be honest this morning. Well, here's what we can do as we finish. One, 
Stand on God's promise. That's what Gideon had to do, Judges 6 and 4. The promise was true. He was strengthened by God's power. He had to dismiss his feeling. He had to run through the pain barrier. He had to fill his mind with a concern for Christ and his cause. Isn't that what Esther did? If I perish, I perish. A young, beautiful queen with the world at her feet. And yet she said, if I perish, I perish before King Ahasuerus. Esther 4 and 16. What matters most is the cause of Christ, not even our lives. Using the weapon of prayer, the weapon of preaching, the weapon of protest, the weapon of purity, we can be strengthened by God's power to maintain the cause of Christ. We can be steadfast for God's preeminence. What we do has an impact on others. What we do has an impact on the children. What we do is an impact on the teenager. You think of the cost of failure. The enemy would blaspheme. The enemy would regain the upper hand. And isn't that what has happened down through the ages? We haven't been as steadfast for God's preeminence as we have wanted to be. And we've forgot the impact of our decisions on the children, the young people. We've given the enemy occasion to blaspheme. We've allowed the enemy to gain the upper hand. And what about finally seeing God's plan and purpose? What's the final goal? Is it not the defeat of the enemy? Is it not the glory of God? Is it not to see Jesus Christ reigning in power and glory? So each soul that we win, each prayer that we offer, each decision that we make, each progress that we make, we should do it with this in view, to see Jesus crowned in power and glory giving the final victory over Satan and all its hosts. And that's how to enjoy the fight. And that's how to keep pursuing the enemy. And that's how to stop the fainting fit. Let's learn to stand in the promise. Strengthened by God's power. Steadfast for his preeminence. And to see his purpose and final goal. Thank you this morning. You've been very patient. 